0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Tell the message is You've got a friend in me. And in 1 Corinthians that, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, we read the following words. And so listen, I'm reading them in the message because it's kind of the, the language of our day. So hang with me if you're in another version. <clears throat> Says so if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but a creaking but a creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and make everything plain as day, and if I have faith it says to the mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love kind of nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've really gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, and no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. For you see, love never gives up. It's patient. And also, love cares more for others than yourself because it's kind. Now let me give you a background on this chapter. The church at Corinth <coughs> excuse me, was a young and new church. Now, I don't know how many of you have the same experience I have, but my father started churches from scratch. So we were these little, teeny churches. We met in Odd Fellows Halls, which was kind of appropriate. <laughs> Think about it. You'll get it. <coughs> and uh, it kind of, kind of started off, okay, because I have eight brothers and sisters, so that's nine kids and mom and dad. So if you start a new church and you have 11 on the first Sunday, that's not really that bad. <laughs> and then, you know, when you start a new church from scratch, you, you kind of get all kinds of different people. And they're all incredibly valuable because if they're not there, you know, you might go from 14 to 13. And so sometimes their behavior was just something my dad learned to say, you're just going to have to live with it. For instance... There was a lady in our church, now here's the, here's the other thing, like we don't do this anymore, but we used to call people like brother and sister. You know what I mean, do I have a witness? Anybody go back that far, you know? <clears throat> and your Catholic friends came to church and you'd be like, hey, uh, Sister Jones, how you doing? And you're like, oh cool, so you have nuns. And I'm like, nah, they're not nuns, just, just we'll get to it later. And So we got a new lady at the church, and you know, when you get a new lady and she brings her husband, and you have 11, and you went to 13, guys, it's like 20% growth. (laughs) Keep them. But she was a little odd, and she kind of didn't like the fact that my hair grew over my ears. And so she told my mother that I had the devil in me because my hair was over my ears. How many of you are here? Look, it was 1972. Everybody had hair over their ears. And so one day I walked into church and for some reason she just, I mean, I got eight brothers and sisters. Why you gotta lock in on me? She just locked her eyes on me and came after me and grabbed me by the head. Don't you ever grab me by the head. Okay, I'm still I'm traumatized. She grabbed me by the head and she started to shake me and shake my head like this. And my mother's standing over there and I could see her. It was a blur, but I could see her. And she started to say things like, I'm going to shake the devil out of you. So I got that going for me. And I'm looking at my mother like, can you help me? You got a little bit of, I've seen how you do some things. You got a little devil in you. Let her shake you. (laughs) Are you with me? Now, how does that relate to the church at Corinth? They did some weird stuff. They were a brand new church. They had what was called an agape feast. We call it communion. And the agape feast was like a, a, a potluck. Now, how many of you are like me? You grew up on potlucks and you got a whole lot more pot than you did luck. But they had this big potluck, and then they'd bring bread and wine, and they'd have communion. And they liked having communion so much, they would just keep having more communion with less bread. Are you following me? And they started to get drunk in church. How many of you know that's an oxymoron? Drunk church. It's like jumbo shrimp. Or tall steve. Think about it, you'll catch you'll catch up, you'll get it. It's a good that's a good joke. It'll just take you a while to figure it out. So they had all this stuff going on. They got drunk at church, and then they would do like they they do things that would make them be seen. And Paul heard about all this stuff, and so he writes them this letter and, and he goes through like 12 chapters of when you do this, do it this way. So it was a methodology or a system of how to have church. Let me, let me just ask you this question. How many of you, like the people at Corinth, maybe the first time you came to this church or another church, watched what they were doing and watched what we were doing and went, don't have a clue. They're going like this, don't get it, never seen that before. Do I have a witness in the balcony? All right? <laughs> what does that, what, I don't, I ain't, do, no. That's weird. Did you ever say that? Come on, be honest. You're in church. If you lie here, whoa. (laughs) So they have these methodologies that are really bad, and Paul straightened them all out, and then he gets to the 13th chapter. He said, now let me tell you something. It's not just methodology. It's not just what you do. It's how you do it, what kind of spirit you have. So whatever you do, you got to do it with love. Now, this word love is not an eros kind of love that you have for someone, and you fall in love, and you get married. It's a philos kind of love, which we get our word Philadelphia from. You know what Philadelphia, anybody here from Philly? Raise your hand if you're from even close. All right, you know it's the city of brotherly love, but if, you're, if you've been there and grew there, it's really the city of brotherly shove. Because I'm from just south of there in Wilmington, Delaware. That's where I grew up. So this is a philos kind of love. This is kind of like a friendship kind of love. Like how you treat the people around you, not just your family, but everyone that's within your circle of praise and worship and your church and the people you work with. So Paul said, listen, guys, if you get the methodology right, make sure your heart is right. And then when you do these things, everyone will be drawn together, and they will feel like they belong. You know the first question people ask themselves when they go to a new church? The first question. Is there anybody else here like me? Anybody else here like me? Because if there is, that means I got a chance. Paul said, make sure that everybody knows that you know how to love. Now, I, like some of you, really like love songs. Some of you would say, we have our song. Come on now, we have our song. And when it comes on the radio, you kind of turn it up and you look at each other and Oh, so good. My wife and I have our song. This is Barbara Streisand. Okay, it's a real person for those of you that never heard of her, okay? We have our song. I can't remember what the song is, but I know we have a song. My wife is here. No, Sue, I do know. It's evergreen. That's our song. And when it comes on, she just reaches over and grabs my hand. And I go, I know, I know. I know this is our song. We don't got to be doing that. Hello. I'm driving. I think I have to shift. And love songs kind of tell us What we would do for love. Bruno Mars recently made a lot of money telling us what he would do for love. He wrote a song. It goes like this. Easy come, easy go. That's just how you live. Oh. Take, take, take it all. But you never give. Should have known you was trouble from the first kiss. Had your eyes wide open. Why'd you have your eyes wide open? Gave you all I had, and you tossed it in the trash. You tossed it in the trash, you did. To give me all your love is all I ever asked. cause what you don't understand is, I'd catch a grenade for ya. Throw my head on a blade for ya. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know I'd do anything for you. Oh, I'd go through this pain for you. Take a bullet straight to my brain for you. Bruno! You know that ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It's easy to commit the things you know will never happen. Pastor Todd gave me that line. He gets full credit. Really, Bruno, write a song about real life. Here, write a song about this. All she really wants is for you to put the toilet seat down. (laughs) Do I have a witness? Or all he really wants is for you to put the seat back to where it was before you drove my truck. Do I have a witness in the house? <laughs> Our love songs just just they're so impractical sometimes. And Paul said, "Listen, you can say all those things, but and they're all really cool platitudes, but honestly, you got to understand what real love is." And so he says, this is how it works. In the first three, chap- first three verses of chapter 13, he teaches us the necessity of love. The definition of love here centers on two words. You can write them down. To, T-O, to prefer. To prefer. To prefer others ahead of yourself. May I share with you that chivalry is not dead. Breathing very hard, but not dead. <laughs> On life support, with still a chance. Have you know what chivalry is? And therein lies the problem. <laughs> it's when you open the door for somebody. I do it at stores all the time. I hold the door for somebody and they walk through, and if, you know, if it's a lady, I'll say, chivalry is not dead. And they look at you and go, you're right, you're right. I said, but it's breathing hard, but it's not dead. So thank you. So today, guys, practice chivalry. Hold the door for her. Amen, amen. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Indiana Hospital will be, the emergency room will be full, <laughs> because if you leave here and you open the door for your wife, she's going to have a heart attack, and then you're going to have to take her to <laughs> You know, I know. It means to prefer. My wife last night, you ready for this? This is true, 100%. I don't have a witness, but how many of you should be able to trust the guy that preaches? (laughs) I mean, I got home after church, and she brought me a glass of iced tea with lemon in it. We're good for another year. June 11th, we'll be married 40 years. <clears throat> and let me tell you how it all happened. 1957, March 22nd, I was born. And when I was born, all the alarms in heaven went off. Sirens, red lights, red alert, red alert, red alert. Emergency, emergency. All the angels, God. God. Everyone came and gathered. And God said, Stephen was born. He's he's here. He's on earth. And that's problematic. (laughs) We must have Susan born within the next year. Or he will never make it. (laughs) And so a year later, my wife was born on March 7th. We started dating at 14, got married at 20 and 19. If you don't know who my wife is, she's the chick that plays the bass and sometimes plays piano. Yeah, I date the chick in the band. And I'm her roadie, which is pretty cool. She's also sitting up here going, knock it off. To prefer. Love lasts when you prefer someone else. Without love, life is a one-way street going nowhere. Without love, we feel alone and helpless. Without love, we turn to anger, hostility, bitterness, and resentment. Without love, we lose our proper self-image and no longer regard our lives as meaningful and our activities as worthwhile. Without love, people become self-destructive. Without love, people hurt, withdraw, and they run away. Without love, the alcoholic and drug addict have no hope of recovery or the will to get help. Without love, the child is afraid and insecure. Without love, the prospect of abuse grows stronger every day. Without love, sex loses its beauty, and we become things to be used, abused, and discarded. Without love, the marriage struggles, and the family deteriorates. Listen, without love, oh, we can still make it, but we'll never live the way we were meant to. What gets in the way of real love? Two words. You can write them down. A selfish nature. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been selfish? Oh, wait a minute. We just, we're going longer. You guys, some of you out there, you're lying in church. It's a bad thing, okay? How many, and listen, we are all selfish at one time or another. Right? I mean, come on. There's not one of us in here that can't say, no, I want it this way. That's just normal. That is normal. Here's what can happen, though. You can go from being selfish to self-absorbed. And then no one gets preference in your world except you. And let me tell you something about people that are self-absorbed. A person that is self-absorbed will eventually self-destruct. Leave them in God's hands. He'll take care of it. So we have to work hard against our selfish nature. Me first. What is that issue in this scripture is... They were measuring their spirituality by making sure they were there for the love feast, making sure they were there with two bottles of wine instead of one, and all these actions they were doing. And it was what they did, not how they did it and what was in their hearts. So Paul comes along and goes, guys, we've got to do things for the right reason. They have a spirituality that just had so many trappings with it. They had abandoned Christian love. So we first see the necessity for love. There are many reasons people find it hard to love or decide to cease loving altogether. Let me give you four of them. Number one, it's hard for some people to love because they are suspicious or are protective of themselves and their families. Due to their past hurts and difficulties, they rarely reach out to other people and they are afraid to love. Secondly, many have problems loving because we set conditions. We love only if. I will love you if you do this. Some people find it difficult to love because of the way they've been abused or used in the past. And fourth, some don't love. They don't even know why. It's just always been the way they are. kind of reminds me of the guy who turned 90 years old. On his 90th birthday, he got, his tr- got in his truck to go for a ride. He's going through town, went by a Chevy dealership, and looked on the corner, and there was a brand-new Corvette sitting on the corner. He said, man, I'm 90 years old. I've never, I've never blown a dollar in my life. What am I sitting on this pile of money for? I'm going to buy that car. I'm going to trade my truck, and I'm going to buy that Corvette. They pulled in, he said, what do you give me for my truck? They told him, the truck was $80,000. He paid the rest cash, and he drove it off the lot. He got to the edge of the lot, and he said, you know what? I'm 90 years old. I've never had a speeding ticket, never had a parking ticket, never been in trouble in my life. I'm going to see what this baby will do. (laughs) He pulls out. Smashes the gas and off he goes, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour he's flying down the road. All of a sudden he looks in his rearview mirror and there's a car behind him with red lights going and a siren and telling him to pull over and he looks in the mirror and he says to himself, I've never never been in trouble, I'm a first time offender, I'm going to make a run for it. 90, 100, 110, 120, 130. He looks at his rearview mirror and that red light is right on his bumper and he thinks to himself, I'm 90 years old. They can put me in jail for this. I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to pull over. He pulls over, the cop comes up to the window and he says, How old are you? He said, I'm 90 how long have you had this car? Three minutes. <laughs> do you know how fast you were going? I do. I was doing 130. And the cop looks at him and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do for you since it's your birthday. If you can give me an excuse I've never heard before, I'm going to let you go. They looked at him. He said, do you have one? He said, yes, sir, I do. So said, what is it? He said, 40 years ago my wife left me for a state trooper. (laughs) And when I looked in the mirror and I saw your red light and siren going, I thought you were bringing her back. (laughs) That's when you know you've lost your will to love again. A group of professional people posed this question of what is love to a group of four- to eight-year-olds. The answers they got were broader and deeper than anyone could have imagined. See what you think. Rebecca, eight years old, said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Billy, age four. ah, When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Carl, age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <coughs> Ain't that the truth. Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. (laughs) Danny, age seven, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is just right. (laughs) Noel, age seven, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. The first thing Paul says is, love is an absolute necessity. It's absolutely necessary if you're going to walk in faith. So we move from the necessity of love to the nature of love. There are 14 traits that Paul gives about love, and we're going to talk about two of them on the introduction to this series on love. And I call it the nature of love. The first one is, love is patient. And it means that we are patient with people, not patient with things, patient with people. The first thing about true love is love has a long fuse. So if you have an anger problem, love can cure it. Now listen, this is not a message on anger, but you're looking at a guy that had to really work his way through anger issues when he was in his late 30s and early or his early uh, late 20s and early 30s. And it was a journey. I'm so glad I made the journey, but I get it. And the term angry pastor, that doesn't fly real well. You know, in the interview, what kind of pastor are you? Angry? Oh, well, we need one of those. That doesn't happen very often. Sometimes, it's best described as the kind of love that is active, and good, and on someone else's behalf. So, patience doesn't mean perfection, because I don't think we, any of us get it right all the time. You know, one of my biggest struggles is, is driving and having other people drive at the same time. <laughs> are, are you here? Don't you wish when you left the house, everybody said, hey, you know, Joe's out, just everybody back off. Because there's this thing called merging. Are you here? And there's this thing called four-way stops in Indiana. And you get to the four-way stop and you know you were there before they were. Do I have a witness? No, stay with me. And you see them starting to edge and you're going, you've got, you've got to be kidding me. No, 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 no. You are not going before me. And so you, you edge a little. You know what's going on in the cabeza, the head? Huh? You don't, you dare. You pull out the, I'll hit you. (laughs) And then this is, now understand, you have a totally different life than us pastors have. Because you can pull out and just cut them off. You can. But not pastors. Because the next thought that goes through our mind is, don't do it. Don't do it. They might go to the summit. <laughs> then what are you going to do? They'll tell Pastor Mel. Pastor Mel will come in your office. Now you've totally messed up your four-way stops for the rest of your life. This word "patience" means we just have to defer to other people. Secondly, love is kind. That means love has a sweet disposition. And it also looks for a way to be construct- uh, looks for a way to be constructive. Now I want to teach you something before we leave t- today. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the blessing. In the New Testament, It had not been picked up on yet. And so Jesus is the perfect example of patience and kindness in one little story that you can read in less than 30 seconds. And I want to share something with you. Jesus changed the whole Jewish culture when it came to children in less than 15 seconds. Honestly, it's true. So I want to show you something. There is a story in Matthew 19 of... Jesus being before a crowd, and all of a sudden, the parents of the children started bringing their children to Jesus, and they wanted him to bless them. Now, you have to understand, in the, in the culture of the day, children were not highly regarded like they are in our Western culture. As a matter of fact, the uh, mortality rate for a child was 50% up until the age of 12, So only half the children made it to the age of 12. So they weren't valued like they are in our culture. Girls were valued much less than boys. As a matter of fact, they were never counted in the numbers of crowds whenever there is a number given for the crowds that Jesus was with. It's always just men. No women, no children. And so understand, if a crowd starts to bring children to Jesus... The disciples are going, culturally, children can't have his time. Does that make sense to everybody? It says, culturally, we don't have time for this. And so the disciples said, they, they rebuked, they rebuked the people. And it says, the people brought their children to Jesus for him to bless them. And the disciples said, don't do that. They, they stopped them. And they rebuked them, said, no, 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 we don't have time. No, no, no. No, 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 we're not doing that. Now listen, Jesus stops everything. He says, no, wait a minute. You ready? He changes culture and history in three verses. He said this. He said, hey, 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 stop. Everybody stop. Forbid not to let the little children come unto me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. It took me less than 15 seconds to say that. And the disciples stepped back. We don't know what size the crowd was, but let's just say the crowd was a 1,000, and maybe there were a 100 children. Jesus said, bring them all. Bring all the kids. No one ever said that to our family. Come over for dinner and bring all the kids. There are nine kids. How about if you and your wife come over? We'll send something home in the bag for the rest. He said, bring all the kids. So let's just say there were 100 kids. And he spent one minute with every child. Do the math. It's 100 minutes. It's an hour and 40 minutes. That's three jeopardies with a Commercial. How many of you would say, oh, today is Children Blessing Sunday. I'm going to go watch the pastor bless the children for an hour and 40 minutes. And then I'm going to go home. The only ones of you that would be here are the ones that had a child in the action. Because we don't wait for that kind of stuff. And neither did they. Jesus said, bring them all. And then he did this. In... Exodus 38, or Genesis 38, there's a story of Jacob blessing his sons. And he does five things. You ready? You can write them down. You can memorize them very easily. First thing he he did is he put his hands on his sons and he blessed them. So he touched them. Secondly, he gave a spoken message. And thirdly, the spoken message had high value. And number four, he pictured a special future for them. And then he told them that he would help them reach their their full potential. So five things. Meaningful touch. Spoken message of high value. And a commitment to the future. And promise to help. Everybody got it? So Jesus brings these children forward and he says, listen, listen. You have look here look my eyes i want you to look in my eyes how many of you think it'd be really cool to look in jesus eyes first off it would scare me to death how many of you were here like he'd see right through me but when i got past that he said, look in my eyes let me let me show you something and he put his hand on them and he said this he, listen he said come here oh my goodness you're so beautiful you're such beautiful eyes and your smile oh he's got his hand on them. he's touching them how many of you know?" that one-third of your sensory receptors are found in the palms of your hand. Your hand has three main nerves that run into it from your arm, and 45 sets of sub-nerves that run from your arm to your hand. It takes one quarter of your brain just to take care of your hands. Isaac Newton said, if it was just for the thumb, I would believe in God. If all there was was a thumb, I would believe in God. That's how intricate it is. You never outgrow your need for touch. The story of a lady, and her husband, they're married like 40 years. She's sitting on the couch at this end, he's sitting on the couch at that end, and she looks over and she says, how come you never sit next to me like you used to? And he's sitting there and he goes, oh. Okay, up. She thinks, oh baby, we're on a roll. She says, how come you never put your arm around me like you used to? Oh my goodness. (laughs) And she is just so excited. He's like, ah, this is the best day of my life. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going for the mother load. I'm gonna go for the whole enchilada. She said, how come you never nibble on my ear like you used to? And boom, up he stands and out he walks. She goes, oh honey, honey, no, no, don't leave, don't leave, please don't leave, I'm sorry, I went too far, I went too fast, forgive me, I'm sorry. Where are you going? So I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> Meaningful touch. You never outgrow your need for touch. I don't care how old you are. A handshake, a hug, Then Jesus says to them, you know what? Here's what I want to tell you. Someday, someday, you're going to figure out what you're supposed to do in this world. And when you got that all figured out, I want you to to know something. I want to bless you. I, I hope you are successful. And I want you to know you can be, because I believe in you. And if you ever need my help, you Ready? Picturing a special future and an active commitment to fulfill that future. And if you ever need my help, put your hands together. And dear God, will you help me? Because I'm scared. I'm in over my head. And he blessed the children. And you know what, it changed history. Maybe you've never seen it that way, but if you know the culture, he changed all of history. What do we do now when kids come running up? Oh, dude, dude, hold it. The kid's here. My grandson's here. I have four grandsons. They get whatever they want, whenever they want. I talked to one of them on the phone last night. He's nine years old, and I send them handwritten mail. I send snail mail to my grandkids because they're learning how to read, and the one's learning how to read uh, cursive, so I write his in cursive. So we were on the phone. I said, do you like getting mail? He goes, yeah, man, I love getting mail. I said, cool. He said, you ever going to put any money in it? Are you here? No, dead serious. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This kid's doc, this kid's dad's a surgeon. Like, he needs my money. And I said, well, maybe one of these days, he goes, can you put a million dollars in it? I said, a million dollars? That's a lot of money. He goes, yeah, I know. Do you have a million dollars? None of your business. close with this I have three children my son is 36 my daughter turns 35 I think this week February 9th and I have another a younger daughter who's 27 and I was not raised in a home that was that really did the meaningful touch thing I got to be honest with you I had to learn how to do meaningful touch, it just was not our gig, man was a man, you know, reminds me of the couple that was married 50 years, and the wife says to the husband, the husband says to the wife, what do you want for our anniversary, and he says, she says, "Uh, I want to go see the pastor, she said, what do you want to see the pastor for, she said, just, I want to go see the pastor, he's like, okay, so he called the pastor, got an appointment on their 50th anniversary, they went in the office and sat down, and the pastor said, hey, good to have you here. She said, yeah, today's our 50th anniversary. He goes, wow, that's cool. What you, you know, what, why would you come here? She goes, I just want you to know something. In 50 years, he's never said I love you, ever said I love you straight to me. And the pastor was like, you've got to be kidding me. He looked at the guy. He goes, is that true? He said, yes. He looked at him and said, well, why? He said, listen, 50 years ago, we were at the altar. I looked at her and said, I love you. If anything ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> it doesn't work. So I decided to do something, and I still do it. When they were little, my son, two years old, little blonde hair, cut like the, the Pennsylvania, the, the Dutch boy paint haircut, you know. And I used to say, come here, you come here, and give me your little face. He used to grab him by the face and I'd look him in the eyes and I'd say, Brandon, look, look, no, no, no. You look at daddy's eyes. I want you to know something. I love you. Whether you win or whether you lose, whether you succeed or whether you fail, it will never change how much I love you. And then Aaron came along. And I'd grab her little face say, Aaron, look at daddy's eyes, look at daddy's eyes, right in my eyeballs. And they'd stare at me and say, I want you to know something, I love you. And whether you win or whether you lose or whether you succeed or whether you fail, I want you to know it'll never change how much I love you. And then when they were six, and going to kindergarten and first grade, I said, you come here before you go to school. Look at here, look in right my eyes. And they'd stare at me. Say, I love you. Whether you win, whether you lose, whether you see, whether you fail. It'll never change how much I love you. I go to school. <laughs> and then they were 12. And I'd say, come here. And they'd go, uh-uh. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. I've been there, done that. I don't like it. And I'd say, you give me that face or I'll take it. And I'd pull them up in my face and say, I love you. Look at my eyes. And sometimes they, they found it hard. I said, I love you. Whether you win, whether you lose, whether you succeed, whether you fail. It'll never change how much I love you. And then we went to college. My son on a street in Boston. We were getting ready to get in the car to leave him there. And I said, Come here. And he said, no. I'm 18. I'm emancipated. And I said, what's that mean? No, I'm just kidding. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, come here. Took that 18-year-old face, said, look at my eyeballs. I love you. Whether you succeed or whether you fail, whether you win or whether you lose, I want you to know it'll never change how much I love you. And with Erin, when she went to college in Philadelphia, I stood on a street in Philadelphia and I said, come here. And she went, because Oh, you'll make me cry. And I'm feeling crying. I'm new here, they're gonna look at me, and go, Who's, what's that freaky weird thing you do with your dad? I know what you're going to do, and I know. (laughs) You give me your face, girl, I'll take it. (laughs) And in the yard, I pulled her face up to mine. I said, sweetheart, look at me. I love you. And whether you succeed or whether you fail, whether you win or whether you lose, it'll never change how much I love you. Morgantown, West Virginia. Right outside my daughter's dorm, I said Allie, Come here, <laughs> Allison Noel. Come here. <laughs> I know what you're gonna do. Why do you gotta make this all this drama? You gotta have drama. I said, look. I just wrote a $10,000 check, and if this is all I get, I'm getting it. (laughs) And I took her little face in my hands, and I said, look at me, look at my eyeballs, and tears coming down her face, and tears coming down my face. And I'm going, listen here, baby, listen, I love you. And I want you to know whether you succeed or whether you fail, whether you win or whether you lose. I want you to know it'll never change how much I love you. On the day they got married, I did the same thing. I have four grandchildren. They won't let me touch their face, sad. (laughs) I do it with them now, come here. Listen, in less than 15 seconds, Jesus changed history. Forbid not the children, let the children come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. He placed his hands on him, on them and he blessed them. Can we pray together? Just bow your heads for a moment. Who's in this place that would say, Pastor Steve, I don't know Jesus like you're talking about it. I don't don't really have that kind of thing in my life. I don't have that kind of love in my life. And listen, Jesus just wants to spiritually look you in the eyes and say, listen, whether you win, whether you lose, whether you succeed or whether you fail, whether you have won or whether you have lost, whether you've succeeded or whether you've failed, I want you to know it will never change how much I love you. But you don't know Jesus like that, but you'd like to. Is there anybody here that would lift their hand and say, Steve, I need that in my life? Just raise your hand up high. God bless you down here in the front. Over here, thanks. Thank you. Just put it up. You can put it down. Promise you I won't embarrass you. God bless you. God bless you. Over here on my right, you can just put it up, put it down. Anybody, God bless you upstairs. Can you repeat a prayer with me? Thanks for raising your hand right down here. Can everybody repeat a prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I love you. I have failed. I have lost. And I pray that I can know your love that never changes. You're patient. You're kind. So I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. And let me know that kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks this morning. God, you're a good God. I want you to stand with me if you would. And I will tell you, I don't care. How much of a man's man you are you never outgrow your need for touch just shoot straight with you so i'm going to do something i'm not going to do it i'm not going to be odd for god i promise but if you're here with your wife you're here with your husband you're here with your mom your dad or friend or whomever you say hey during this song I just want you to know you got a friend in me you got a friend in me are you here you might want to reach out and grab a hand and say let's sing together because a blessings not a blessing until you get meaningful touch and until it's spoken and I got five guys sitting four guys sitting in the front row going it ain't gonna happen yeah, I hear you. I, I looked right at you. I knew. Look, I'm way over time, but that's too good to pass up, all right? Listen, whether you win, whether you lose, whether you succeed, or whether you fail, it'll never change how much God loves you. Let's sing this together in a spirit of love. Leave this place and be patient and kind. You can change the world. God bless you.